No twerking, Travis. No twerking. <laughs> twerking is a great form of exercise. Let me just not in this studio. Not in this studio. Well, okay. You twerk All away, right. sir. All right, no, bye. 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 Get out of here. Uh, what about nutrition? What about nutrition? Who has nutritional advice? Other, other, other than other than drinking at least four energy drinks. Just Travis. at least drink four. It's a slippery drinks. slope, Travis. <laughs> no energy. Sorry, I'm so sorry, you guys. Sorry to touch me. Cast, the podcast for K26 invitees. This is your host, Ryan. I'm here as always with my producer, Producer Matt. Yeah, this is Producer Matt. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about some Q&A questions, uh, some things that all you 26ers are wondering about. We have a wide variety of volunteers here to answer some of those. So let's get them um, introduced. Hey guys, I'm Kelly Maria. You heard from me on the Packing Podcast as well, so I hope to answer some of your questions tonight. Hey there, my name is Travis Richardson. I am a volunteer in Nutten Old Blast. Hello, my name is Gina, and I live in Jalalabad City. Hello, my name is Duncan. I live in Osh City, and I was on the City versus uh, Village site. Yeah. Urban versus rural, Ur- yeah, city versus village. Hey everyone, I'm Elise, I am a K24, and I was based in Nurin City. Awesome. Okay, thanks everybody for being here. Let's jump right into the questions. We pulled these off of various emails uh, and any questions that were submitted online. The first topic that we're going to get to is vacation and annual leave. Uh, and I'm just going to start it off with the first upcoming uh, times of the year that you will be eligible uh, to take your annual leave, go on vacation for the K-26 is coming in. You guys will be excited for March 21st through March 31st. That is uh, the spring break from school. Next, there will be summer break, May 26th through August 31st. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, you will not be eligible to use your annual leave for the first three months of service, and you are expected to stay at site. That's exciting. Uh, Who wants to (laughs) introduce the rules of accruing annual leave? I guess that's me. So, um, in order to accrue annual leave, once you swear in, you will get two days per month that you can take, you can buy up to 15 days from that. So for instance, if you would like to leave during the summer and you don't have your annual leave time that you need for it, it's perfectly fine. You just have to contact the office and ask for extra days. 
And you start accruing annual leave days as soon as you arrive in country as a trainee, correct? No, no. that's completely wrong. No. That's completely wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, it is once you swear in okay. as a volunteer. Yeah. So you get 48 total, so and you serve for 24 that. months, so that's two oh. per month. Yeah. Gotta be a real volunteer for vacation. I don't know anything. Yeah. Someone, someone obviously missed our pre-podcast uh, <laughs> Somebody wasn't invited to do any other podcast before now, so... Uh, Oh, I wanted to say, there's a catch. When you take annual leave days, uh, if you're out of the country on a Saturday or a Sunday, you Mm -hmm. also have to take an annual leave day for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you stay in the country and do, like, program leave or something, it doesn't matter if you travel on the weekends in Kyrgyzstan. But... (laughs) <laughs> There's also a catch. You get a travel day added to your annual leave when you are leaving country, but you do not get a travel day when you are returning. That counts as an annual leave day. Silliness. Yeah. So there's there's some nuances to the annual leave, but you'll have until March 21st to figure all of those out. So uh, let's move on to the second subject, which is packing uh, we have an entire amazing packing podcast. Possibly the best. Uh, possibly the best podcast of all the podcasts. Uh, so we're only going to focus on the question of gifts to bring for uh, host families because that question has come up a lot of times. So let's go around the room. Uh, we slightly addressed this question in, in the packing podcast, uh, but we have a new group this time uh, with the exception of Kelly Maria. So let's hear from er- everyone else. On your suggestions for gifts to bring for host families. Okay, so hi, this is Travis again. And I forget who, but somebody posted in the K26 Facebook group about what to bring for your host family, so there was a lot of discussion there. I'll just reiterate a few things that I said. One, keep it simple, don't make it elegant, don't spend a lot of money on it, because most of the time you'll probably get your feelings hurt as to how your gifts end up actually being used. Uh, Number two, try to make it something American or state or even your own city specific because that really touches home as to where you're from, gives your family a sense of pride as to the new American volunteer that they have. And number three is it's important to remember that you have two host families that you need to get gifts for. One, your PST host family for the first three-ish months, and then your permanent host family. And it's important to bring presents for both of those. Yeah, let's see. I, this is Gina. I brought chocolates. I think I brought like a bag of nut goodies from Minnesota. I think they're from Minnesota. Um, they are <laughs> now. <laughs> and I got like, yeah, I went to the Minnesota gift store and got some like pot holders and tea towels and I think that's about all. Uh, and I brought enough for both families. But, well, they ate the chocolate immediately, uh, but I haven't seen them use the pot holder, even though they could really, they, they're, the pot holder they're using is not that good. Uh, but they haven't used the gifts I brought yet, but they seemed to appreciate it anyway. Uh, that's what I got. But it doesn't... Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, well, Kelly Maria actually covered this last time. Sorry, I'm, I'm married to Kelly Maria, and she discussed our gifts in the earlier podcast, so I don't... I won't re- reiterate that story. But, yeah. yeah. You guys brought knives. Well, actually, for our PST like family, we brought Dove chocolate and Ooh. jam, Ooh. and they actually have Dove chocolate here, so that was... Yeah. It wasn't necessary. It disappeared almost immediately. And we never really saw what happened with our jam. 
Exactly. Uh, so for both of my host families, uh, I live in farm country in New York, so we have a lot of local farmers markets and a local chocolatier. So from the chocolatier, I brought handmade homemade chocolates for each family, and then I also brought homemade jams for each family, and those went over really well, and maple syrup went over really, really well. They like to put it in their tea here. Um, but yeah, keep it simple. It doesn't have to be anything big, and usually things that they can put out for Chaiich are the most popular because they like to show off to family members. Oh, uh, it occurred to me that the process of giving gifts to your host family doesn't end once you first meet them. Like, any time that you travel, then it's nice to bring a bazaar like a little gift for your host family, often something yes. edible, or like a little magnet or something. Or if you want to be strategic, yes. we brought back, like, dried samosas from India. This is producer Matt, by the way. My host family is, like, not into them, so I just spent one whole meal just eating all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I brought back the same thing, and I was so happy when they hated them. Because... <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was excellent. Uh, yeah, so I think the consensus from the last podcast, too, was edibles, like, consumables were definitely the best thing that everyone brought. Definitely bring edibles. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that went over really well with my host siblings was I brought little American flags, mm. and they all oh, thought they were really idea. cute. Yeah, American flags go over really well. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's jump into dress code. Uh, specifically, like, for PST and then at your permanent sites. Uh, they did send out a quick reminder about dress code, modest attire uh, at all times, relaxed during language and cultural sessions during uh, PST, business casual and non-sport shoes, no flip-flops uh, during hub days and practicum at school days. Uh, during PST at as well. Uh, who wants to share their experiences about dress code at site? Yeah, I can. I don't know. Uh, it's producer Madigan. Uh, normally, when I go to school, uh, my school is fairly relaxed, so I'll wear, like... Uh, I don't wear jeans. I'll wear, like, uh, slacks uh, or khakis. Not super nice pants. Uh, and, like, a button-up shirt. I usually don't tucked in my shirt because I find it uncomfortable and weird. Uh, but as long as your clothes are, like, ironed, most people, I find, are don't care. And then a few times I've shown up and I've worn, like, a bow tie or a tie or something, they're like, oh, that's nuts! Yeah. Hi, this is Travis again. I always wear a tie or a bow tie when I teach my normal classes, and all of the teachers in my school get a big kick out of it. They think I'm super cute when I do that. Mm-hmm. But... For the male volunteers, don't feel uh, super required to bring a lot of ties, maybe one or two that you really like will suffice, because during your normal teaching time, if you don't want to wear a tie, you don't have to. But nice, you know, button-down shirt, ironed dress pants or slacks uh, would work totally fine as well. Yeah. Hi, right, this is this is Duncan. I actually brought four ties to country, and I think I've worn one, like, twice. I think I brought, like, eight bow ties. Wow. I brought eight bow ties. I did bring a Christmas tie with Santa Claus is golfing with his reindeer, and that was a big hit. I have a really cool wolf tie that I like to wear every now and then. The one thing I would mention is maybe investing in one complete 
suit outfit or for ladies one very nice dress two-piece outfit if you will uh, because you will have a lot of school ceremonies holidays at graduations and the like sometimes NBC events sometimes official Peace Corps events where you're going to want to wear business professional uh, attire so but one of that would suffice you don't need mm -hmm. to really invest in a lot how about the conservatism conservatism of female dress at sight. Does someone want to touch on that? All right, I can go first. So this is Kelly Maria. Um, I'm a city volunteer in OSH. So OSH is gener generally considered to be more conservative than Bishkek, but it's really not that conservative. Um, at school, pantyhose are really common, but I realized as it got really hot, I think it's more about just people tend to get cold easily here. Once it hit, like, May, um, no one wore them anymore, so it's definitely, at least at my school, not a conservative thing. It's just a cold thing. Um, so as long as, like, dresses and skirts are to your knees, it's fine. Um, I know a lot of volunteers got pushback from directors, and actually I did get pushback from my director about pants. Um, I ignore it because I'm not really keen on a man telling me not to wear pants. But I guess if you want to totally integrate and please everybody, um, I, it's more preferred that women wear dresses and skirts. Um, the other thing for me I found was my counterparts and people at my school really like it when I look cute and stylish, and they make it a point to passive-aggressively point out when I'm not. Um, but as other people uh, I think we'll touch on as well, like you can buy anything here. Uh, the things you buy here will make you fit in more, so that's always an option. Ladies. Hey, this is Elise again, so I'll go next. Uh, I live in Narin City, um, also much more conservative than Bishkek, but still pretty relaxed. Um, pretty much the same as Kelly Maria. My director told me that I needed to wear pants or skirts to school, and I told him I wasn't going to do that because it's very cold. Um, and Narin is cold pretty much through the end of May, so everyone just wears pantyhose to school all the time, just because it's really cold. Um, and then, again, my teachers really like to look stylish, so um, at my school they all bring in clothes to sell all the time, so if you're worried about finding anything, you'll be able to. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's see, this is Gina. I live in Jalalabad City, and I work at a university. So the women I work with are generally pretty less conservative. Uh, so, like, pants is no problem for me. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think I... All I wear pants or skirts below the knee. Or I have some dresses that I guess are above the knee, but I always wear leggings or tights with that. Uh, and I wouldn't wear... I wouldn't show my shoulders at work, but, like, short sleeves are fine. So, I can dress pretty, not too formally. I wear a lot of black pants in the winter. Black pants and dark colored skirts, but, uh, but yeah, I like sweater dresses and leggings for winter with cardigans over top. <clears throat> and, yeah, I bought my teaching boots here, or my winter, winter shoes, for about 20 bucks. Like, I think I paid 1400 some. Uh, and they're black, heeled, sort of fur-lined boots <clears throat> that... Look like everyone else wears. Massive. You can 
<clears throat> no, no. Okay. Heels, fancier. Oh, okay. I don't so, have like, those. Knee highs above, right? Oh, no, no, because my calves are too big. I can't do the high. <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. do ankle boots. <laughs> so, they, they take me from classroom to weddings to whatever I go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we had some questions posted about, uh, like, site placement. So, for example, how does the PST site placement work? And then the other question that we can talk about is, will we have an opportunity uh, to voice our wishes about site placement preferences? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's about permanent site. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, PST site placement, you have no say. No. No say whatsoever. None you, whatsoever. You're in country for, like, two days. So, what happens with the PST is... At some point during your like staging period when you have to get all your documentation done, Peace Corps asks you to write an essay. Your PST host family will also write an essay, and then Peace Corps will use the two essays to match you. Um, because the essay is one paragraph, it's kind of hard to figure out matches, so sometimes the match works really well, sometimes it doesn't. I wrote in my personal one that I really liked arts and crafts. My family also wrote that, so I got matched with that family, and that was the deciding factor there. Yeah, my PST host family, they were like, we wanted a girl, but you're pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) And how about permanent site? Will you have an opportunity to voice your wishes about site placement preferences? So hi, this is Travis, if I may. Uh, you definitely will during PST towards the later stages, uh, maybe a month and a half or so into PST. You'll be given a survey, and it'll be all about your permanent site. Uh, you'll get a chance to rank the oblast in order Based that you on want our to go. Presentations of those oblasts, right? So, uh, current volunteers will come up during one of your hub days and give oblast presentations. So, all about what the oblast is like, the pros and cons of living there, etc. And based off of that and what you're learning about the country, you'll have preferences that you'll get to rank in order. You'll also get to rank. What your goals for your service will be, such as, you know, you want to go to a Russian-speaking school or a Kyrgyz-speaking school. You want to work on gender development and that sort of thing. And based off of that, Peace Corps will try their best to accommodate what you say. That being said, uh, you know, it's one of the tenets of Peace Corps that you're expected to serve wherever you get placed. And they will consider the needs of the school over your personal preferences every time. So just be prepared that although Peace Corps will take your preferences certainly into account, you might not get what you're looking for. So this is Elise again, and I have a story along those lines. I was adamant that I not go to Nurin. That was the only place in country I did not want to go to, and I got placed there, and honestly, I am beyond happy that that is where I spent my two years in service. I think it was 100% fulfilling and 100% worth it. So don't be opposed to a place because you don't think you'll like it. Peace Corps is very, very good at figuring out what you need for yourself. So keep that in mind for placement. Yeah, and this is Gina. Uh, When you're filling out the, like, ranking the oblasts, uh, don't just think about the major city in that oblast because uh, you might be like seven hours away from that city. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you could be in Tui Oblast but like have no internet and 
and be far from Bishkek. Or... Just ride horses all day for some reason. <laughs> but they, they do definitely consider your needs. There's a volunteer who said that the most important thing to her was swimming. And so she ranked Isakula's number one. And she'd kind of been assured, like, you'll have a place to swim. So she was so sure she was going to Isakul. And she ended up getting Osh. And when she asked about it, they said, well, Osh has the most public swimming pools. It's hot a lot of the year. Like, we thought that you'd be happy here because there were, there were many opportunities to swim. So in that situation, they took they didn't take her Oblast request into consideration. Instead, they took her individual need. Right. Do, do we mention the interview as well as the survey? Oh, okay. so, uh, yeah. they give the surveys the first thing to do, and then you actually talk with an RM or a PM about where, where you're going. And what does RM or PM mean? Oh, sorry. An RM is a regional manager, and a PM is a uh, program. Program. program manager. Yeah. So regional managers like are the ones who work with your host family. They help you with communication at your school and at your site. And program managers are like your work supervisor, and they help you with work. Yeah. Uh, and during your interview, too, like, I remember I went into mine, and I'm in a strange grad school program that's now discontinued, but I, like, ranked... <laughs> well, really? Yeah. Well, like, I, I get to finish mine, but, oh, like, God. other Peace Corps volunteers can't do it after Whoa, me. Yeah. yeah. I got lucky. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, uh, for that, I rank. I had to. I rank Chewy not because I was like particularly like interested in being in Chewy, but because I was like I want to be have access to like see other people, other volunteers, or I want to have access to like uh, amenities so I can be in contact with my institution back in the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they kept all that in mind, and then I was also like I don't want to be in the city though, so I did get to like go out into a village, which was nice. And one last thing to close, if I may. Uh, So Gina and Kelly Maria definitely touched on this, but when you're thinking about what Oblast or where you want to go to for your permanent site, it's much, much more important to think about what your goals for the two years are and how the geographic placement will help you fulfill those goals uh, rather than just thinking about the Oblast in general and what you may hear about what city is there or what tourist attractions are there. Because it's so much more important for you to be placed in a site where you will feel fulfilled and th- your purposes for coming to Peace Corps. Uh, for example, I said in my interview that I wanted to learn Kyrgyz to the best of my ability. And I wanted to work with lower income children. And so I got placed in Narin, where like Narin is stereotypically the place where the purest Kyrgyz is spoken. And you know it's one of the more poorer of the oblasts that we go to. Uh, and that's much more important to think about than just the whole geographic area of where you want to go to, because as Gina said, you might want to be close to Bishkek, so you rank Chewy Oblast as number one, but you end up being seven hours from Bishkek, because you only thought about the general Oblast where you want to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, let's move yep. on to... Yeah, excellent. Excellent, yep. Travis. Uh, let's move on to you. nutrition and fitness. Uh, there were a lot of questions. <laughs> what, what is nutrition? <laughs> Travis, you can tell me. Right? How many energy drinks should you drink every day? <laughs> you should, you should at least at, drink at least four Kyrgyz energy yeah. drinks, which are worse than Red Bull. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so there were a lot of questions about uh, maintaining nutrition, uh, about exercising. 
There are also some really good questions about uh, things like, is it feasible to run outside? Are there cultural norms to be aware of when exercising? Yes. 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 To all of those things. Yeah. Who will go first? Uh, I can go first. Uh, For example, running. Uh, I live in a pretty small village with no uh, concrete roads, cement roads, no real roads. Uh, They're all gravel roads. So running is actually... Uh, easy for me because during the winter the gravel roads like uh, get like enough row or like car wear on them that you can run in the like car tracks on the gravel and it's never really that icy because of the dirt and the gravel. So yes I I think coming to like cities it seems like you can't even walk three feet without falling over because the sidewalks are so icy. Uh, so the running thing, I think, depends on where you are, but generally, yes, except in Bishkek, maybe. Oh, and Narin City. <laughs> Narin City, so. yeah. you cannot run in. Yeah. Don't even try. So, so actually, not? I think the village just a sheet of ice for village, six village life might be better for running, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just really cold. <laughs> you have to love cold weather runners. Travis got a point. If, yeah, I, if point. I may, hi, I'm an avid runner. Like, I love running. I did track through college and, and whatever, right? Uh, so, I have a problem with it, specifically with running, in that, as Ryan was saying, the roads are very gravelly, they're very rocky. I ended up, uh, when I was running, uh, tripping over a loose rock and dislocating my knee and, like, sliding down an embankment and being medically rushed up to Bishkek. So just be careful when you're running, uh, scope out a good path that is safe for you. If you're an avid runner, you, you know what to look for and you, you know what to avoid. Uh, so yeah, just, just be careful. Also a cultural standpoint, if I may, about running. Having lived in both Kyrgyzstan and Russia now, uh, the concept of running is still a very foreign issue when it comes to exercise. I've had people in my village ask me, why I run, and they say that the only reasons why Kyrgyz or Russian people would run would be one, because they're drunk, or two, because they are running away from something. Like, there's an active cause (laughs) motivating them to run for their lives. So they don't really understand why I run just purely for exercise, purely for enjoyment, but just using your language skills and explaining that you're doing it for your own purposes, it solves all those problems. Yeah, I will say, too, in my village, I'm not an avid runner. I'm, like, an avid... I don't know. Sometimes I do jumping jacks or something. I don't know. I like I like walks. I'm a walker. Uh, but a lot of people in my village run, like Kyrgyz people, Russian people, whoever. Uh, but I also live like an hour away from Bishkek, which I think has to do with it. I know other volunteers. Uh, one other 25. She lives in Issaquil, and she had an interesting story where when she was out running, somebody stopped a car and got out and talked to her and asked her, like, hey, you're running. And she's like, yeah, for fitness. And she was like, I want to run. No one else runs. Can I start running with you? And then, like, it started this kind of, like, exercise group. Yes. So along those lines, there's actually a volunteer, K24, in Talas, who has started a running club because her students saw her running every day, and then they joined her in running. So it's been a project that she's been doing for about a year now, and it's been really popular. One, oh, go to Oh, no, you. Wow, Gina. okay, thank you. Uh, I wanted to say, I haven't done that much running in Jalalabad, but there is a track near my house, and there are a few people running around there. Uh, but what do you, 
ladies wear for exercise attire. Because I feel a little self-conscious, like running in shorts, but then it's hot if you wear tights, but you also don't want to be too form-fitting. Do you have any recommendations? Um, I hate fitness, to be perfectly honest. True. But coming from speaking to my counterpart, shorts for a woman in Nurin are entirely inappropriate. So she has told me that I should be running in tight leggings or even just regular pants, like sweatpants. Because mm. she says, if a man sees me as a full-grown woman in shorts, I am a prostitute, plain and simple. Yeah, I know shorts aren't appropriate. Um, I mostly do like yoga and things that I do inside. So again, not much of an issue for me. But um, if I'm outside in exercise attire, it's definitely leggings. Um, tank tops are fine in Osho. Hmm. Okay, that's good. A good a good chunk of my exercise is done indoors, but also yeah. because it's super super cold yeah. uh, during the winter. Lots of push-ups. Yeah. I have those really cheesy workout videos on my computer. Oh, fun. Those yeah. work. Those actually yeah. work pretty well. Yeah. So I don't even yeah. know. I have I don't know. I have a mix of like weird ones, mm. but oh, I keep cutting Travis off. No, Jenna, go talk. <laughs> okay. Travis, be uh. bit. Okay. <laughs> I keep using, um, oh, in the winter I was using, like, the New York Times seven-minute workout or something, which I don't know how much it does, but it was, it was something. And then I found out this spring a local woman started a Zumba class, so that's been fun when I can. I have to pay for it, but it's, but it's very fun. Elise or Travis. Oh, <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm going to take it on this. the studio. So <laughs> what I wanted to say is exercise, be it running or whatever else you do to stay fit, just note that it is a very real possibility that you will not have access to running water or other ways to cleanse yourself after you exercise. Uh, and I know this is a problem for a lot of volunteers. A lot of volunteers in the K-25 group are very physically fit, very strong. Uh, and exercise, <laughs> and exercise, girl, exercise was their coping mechanism for a lot of stress, but they feel like that coping mechanism has been taken away now because they go out and they exercise, get really sweaty, but they have to wait another week to go banya and go cleanse themselves. So just know that that might be an issue. You might have to get used to bucket bathing, or you might just have to get used to being gross for a few yeah. days. Or bring too. some wipes. To bring some wipes. Yeah. 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 Wet wipes. The baby wipes. The baby wipes. They've returned. So, this is Elise again. One thing that uh, has been really, really fun for me is I started taking dance lessons with my students, and it's been a, really good for me to stay in shape. And also, I think it makes my students realize that I'm an actual human being and not just a teacher that appears in their life and disappears when the school closes for the day. Yeah. So that's been a fun way to work out, and it's not crazy, crazy dance, so I don't really have to worry about immediately taking a shower afterwards when I don't have water. Nutrition is, I'll be frank with you, I live in Norin, and there's a joke in Kyrgyzstan, amongst other Kyrgyzstani people, amongst volunteers, that in Norin, you eat meat with a side of meat, and sometimes you eat potatoes with your meat, right? And it's covered in oil. 
What about bread? And it's covered in oil. Maybe some bread to go along with your only meat, maybe right? Bread. Only, only, only meat. bread. Oh, my family insists on bread all the time. Oh, wolf. No, meat, meat with meat. It's like two so, meals a day. So there's a, an abundance of meat. There's abundance of oil. There's an abundance of mayonnaise. There's abundance of salt <laughs> and sugar with a little bit of dill. <laughs> And that is, at least for me, that's that's like a good 90% of what I eat. So Peace Corps will stress this, medical will stress this, that, you know, once you get to permanent site and you assess your nutrient situation, that you should start cooking and shopping for yourself. You can negotiate with your host family as to the food allotment and times that you can cook for yourself, but make sure you get your vegetables in, make sure you get your fruits in, uh... As as well, and I suggest bringing multivitamins with you too. Peace Corps will provide your multivitamins. Oh, Peace Corps will provide. If you have, so if you have a tendency to be vitamin deficient and you feel like you need, like an iron supplement or B12 supplement, those I brought with me because Peace Corps cannot provide individualized supplements. They can only provide a multivitamin. So just keep that in mind. I was going to say, speaking of, like, vegetables and fruits and stuff, what kinds of... Because we're all from pretty different places, or at least we have, like, a few different places among us. What kinds of things could you regularly get at your site? So, like, I'll say, like, being in Chile, uh, in my village, I couldn't really get a whole lot of stuff in the winter, unless I spent, like, a ludicrous amount of, like, psalms for moldy oranges that, yeah. like, were left over from the fall. Yeah. Uh, but I could travel up to Bishkek, and I can get things there for also exorbitant prices. Yeah. So, this is Kelly Maria. Uh, Duncan and I live in Osh City, and while we don't get all of the imports that Bishkek gets, we do get even more, like, fresh vegetables and fruits. So we have a spinach guy in our bazaar. He's had spinach all year. Um... You can get Spinach. cabbage, obviously, all year, but that's for most places. Um, like, those are pretty much the only leafy greens, but you can get eggplant. Um, Broccoli. What else? Broccoli, cauliflower, depending on the month. Uh, what else? Can Our we family get? doesn't know what to do with broccoli, but we can do it. Right, broccoli. yeah. So in <laughs> Osh, um, everything's really good and cheap. And locals are pretty big. Like They'll tell you, like, oh, that's something you, that comes from Kyrgyzstan or Uzbekistan, where that's something that's being shipped from China. And they they tend to be weary of that stuff. And they always like tell you like, oh, it has GMOs. I've only it's seen that as labels on rice. <laughs> <laughs> it's not organic. But um, we're also, if you are lucky enough to be an Osh, then yeah, we have fresh fruits and vegetables all year round. So it just comes to figuring out how to work with your family to incorporate that into your diet more. So this is Elise, and I am in Nurin City, and. Travis might have just said that it is meat upon meat upon meat, which is very true if you are living with a host family. However, Nurin City has been very, very, very up and coming in the last two years. And in Nurin City's Bazaar, we have actually a lot of fruits and vegetables available year-round now. So I can pretty easily get similar things. We have spinach available pretty much year-round now. We have broccoli, cauliflower... You name it, you can pretty much find it. It's just a problem of price. There's a really great AJ that I hope the 25s will introduce you to, and she'll really help you out. Her name is Bakhtagul. So she is keep that in mind. Yeah. We got you, Nerd people. Yeah. So I live about, in the winter, two hours away from you, right, Elise? And uh, 
Yeah, the bazaar there is excellent, but getting there is a pain in the butt, and most of the time it can be a two-day trip, because getting transportation back to my village is hard. Uh, so yeah, so in my village, basically potatoes sometimes. Potatoes and candy. Potatoes and candy. No, no, that's, that's so true. Potatoes and, and candy. Like literally, <laughs> the store the that's though. open about two hours every day yeah. has potatoes and candy. So, uh, so yeah, staples. a lot of people do have to travel. We just have a lot of city people here today, though. So yeah, yeah but yeah, uh, traveling is traveling is a big part of getting food. And where Travis lives, uh, at Basha, their bazaar is on Sundays. It is, and so that's the closest one to me. It's about forty-five minutes, unless the taxi driver drives really fast, like they do sometimes. It's faster. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they they have a decent selection. It's not Narin City good. No. But they have the like good bananas. They always have apples of varying quality. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of bananas and apples. So, anyone else on the nutrition front? Let's I got one see. more. Uh, Travis is distracted, so I'm going <laughs> to continue. Uh, in Jalalabad City, I would say in the winter, we have mm, pumpkin and carrots year-round and and cabbage and potatoes. Uh, so I got some orange vegetables, but not a lot of greens in the winter. Um, and I usually eat dinner with my host family, because I like their cooking pretty well. Uh, but, oh, when you first arrive, there's going to be lots of fruits and vegetables. Uh, so take advantage of that and eat them all. There'll be watermelon eat and so much watermelon. white melon and uh, good tomatoes oh, and lots of cucumbers. Watermelon here is so much better than in the States. Yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah. Are we not supposed to eat watermelon during the winter? Why? I don't really get watermelon. Have you ever seen a watermelon in the winter? Well, I've never actually seen one. They hibernate. Question answer. I thought that was like a thing in our training, like never eat winter watermelon. I don't think it exists. But that's probably why. They hibernate. They go underground. If you find it's been sitting in the house for six months. Yeah, definitely a no-go. Let's see, around New Year's, You'll be lucky. Well, I was lucky. There, like, there was a profusion of pineapples. I don't know where they came from. It's but... the New Year's fruit. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> it is the fruit that so, celebrate New Year's. Yeah, and oh, we had a lot of like pomegranates uh, uh, around yeah. then. Oh, yeah, we did. Pomegranates. For special. So, uh, one of the good things, I mean, going guesting can be a pain when you go visiting people, but you always know there, there's going to be salad <laughs> and fruits. So that's one of the perks to going yeah. guesting. And like the, the Kyrgyz salad of just like sliced cucumber, sliced tomato, salt. Yeah. Really good. Oh if it's God. not too yeah. salty. So very, too very not too much dill on it. Dill is the like best. Don't come for dill. dill Do not come from dill. Do not come for dill. Yeah, dill rules. <laughs> dill is the best, thank you. I I'm with you, Travis. I personally do babe. not like dill. It's the Kyrgyz allspice. I think I've just dill. It is the Kyrgyz allspice. I just had too much dill. Put it on everything. <laughs> it just tastes I've had more dill in a year here than in my entire life. Probably. I was someone who always, like, if I saw a bag of dill chips in the States, I would just always buy it. Yes. Every time. And when I got here, I was like, yes. Yes. Dill everything. Yeah, dill, dill my life. Dill meat. I like dill I like potatoes. Dill on dill. Dill on dill. Or just when you get the bowl of soup and your host mom's like, let's try that pile of dill on top. Oh, it's so oh, good. Do, do your host families add tons of garlic? 
What's so wait, yes, my best mom. She was chopping garlic, and I thought, like, what are you making? This is enough for like three recipes. But no, it's just for tonight's like soup. Garlic is considered a medicinal herb here, so they they eat whole garlic. If you have a right, they they will like chop garlic up and they'll eat it whole and raw. If you have a congestion, (laughs) congestion. If you're out of pepper and your soup is a little bland. <laughs> if you're congested, or if you have a flu or something, you just eat garlic. Alright. Okay. We're good on the nutrition front, at least. Let's go on with it. Absolutely. We? Let's... <laughs> well, in not every way, but let's go on. Let's shift to work. Lots of work oh, questions. I love work. All right, so now we're super fit. We've decided if we can run or not. Mm-hmm. We know what to wear. Uh, work questions include what age groups will we be working with? Uh, how does teaching work with our respective counterparts? For example, will we will we be assigned our own classroom? Mm-hmm. Uh, will we collaborate Maybe. with our counterparts on lesson ideas? Mm-hmm. Will we be directly <laughs> in the classroom, side by side, alternating days or leading lessons? Mm-hmm. Maybe. And for material itself, <laughs> how is the curriculum taught? Are there standards or benchmarks that each teacher should be working towards in their respective schools? What's a benchmark? Uh, yeah, what's a benchmark? What's a, what's a, what's a benchmark? Uh, and a really good question as well. Resources, what would be helpful to bring? Oh, nice. resources. Wonderful. Don't bring anything. Yeah. So let's go, let's go with the resources question first, since I just asked okay. 17 questions. Yeah, that was a lot. Yeah. Uh, what would be helpful to bring in assisting in lessons? Planning, giving lessons, oh, delivering. I was going to say, uh, children's books actually would probably be very useful. Um, maybe a deck of cards, like Uno and stuff like that. Um, and deck of cards, you can play a lot of English games. Uno's a great gift to bring for your family, yeah. too, yes. by the way. Maybe bring more than one. Because yes. we, uh, we actually gave our first Uno deck to our, P- yeah. our, our, our PST family, and then we had to get more from home. But then we actually found a store in Ocean that sells them. So they oh, actually wow. are starting to sell Yeah, I, I feel like I've country. seen them somewhere yeah, here. They have them in yeah. So I think you can theoretically get them. So if you're in Ocean City, they actually, actually can go to a store and get them. I brought those English matching like picture cards where you flip mm. a card and then try to guess where yeah. it was and you have to they really like playing that mm-hmm. if you're really into bringing a learning gift like yeah and you but you'd have to bank on having young children in right. your PSDO's family which isn't guaranteed yes. my number one recommendation for actual teaching props and realia to bring is a map of the United States oh yeah that's a good, yeah that's a good that is that's my really most good. used prop is they love visualizing where you're from they love seeing like I Mark Twain is in my curriculum for the ninth grade, and so I can point to where Mark Twain was born. I can point to where his stories are from, and that just helps picture everything better. The thing I found really helpful, I brought a... I went home halfway through my service and came back, and when I came back, I brought a beginner and an intermediate-level grammar book because my counterpart's English wasn't that great, and... I didn't use it at all with my students. I used it specifically with my counterparts. And now they understand from that grammar book how to explain the grammar to their own students. Mm. And it's really helped them improve their English Mm. a lot. It's a good one. I was going to say, like, my personal opinion was, like, just to bring, like, nothing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, like you are only going to be here for two years teaching, and you're, the part of the goal is you're supposed to impart, uh, like, 
new teaching methodologies, new knowledge, and bringing stuff from the states to help you teach and leaving it here doesn't help that. So I try to focus on using things that are around me. And that doesn't mean like nothings, like my counterpart like uses a computer sometimes with a PowerPoint. Or we have like a few things like that we can do. Uh, but besides that, just I say if so, you, there's something you know that'll like make you feel more comfortable to teach, bring that. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, my village has had volunteers for the last six years. Uh, now seven with me, and other other volunteers have brought things and left them like uh, like books and things and, and laptops. No, right? and laptops. Yeah, and they don't they don't touch any of those resources. They don't use them. They're in a cabinet locked up. The kids don't use them. Uh, teachers don't use them, so they might get used while you're here. But I recommend bringing nothing. Yeah, yeah I, I like your map idea, though, Travis. Yeah. Uh, that was actually pretty cool. But yeah, I would bring no teaching resources. I would bring candy instead. Three thousand percent. Three thousand percent agree with that. Especially because if you bring a lot of resources from America, like books or fancy technology or whatnot, I guarantee you they will not be used because teachers do not usually retreat receive training on how yeah. to use such resources and two it's just going to be annoying to you because your director is going to invite people from the local government or their friends who are directors at other schools just to show off the fact that they have stuff yeah. in their school but that stuff is not being used you also don't know the level of your counterpart yet i mean you could have a counterpart that a grammar book would right. be very 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 good for yeah but oh, it's yeah. really going to be specific like our counterparts that we have uh, no two counterparts are the same. They don't learn the same way. They don't have the same level of motivation. Uh, so it's nearly impossible to uh, to figure that stuff out. Oh, I was gonna say I, I mentioned the books, but I actually, you can bring those on like a USB and oh, use them yeah. oh, oh, like if you want to. Yeah. No, that, yeah. actually, so that's a good idea. Somebody gave me a, a USB huh. full of books, and I plan to use those next. That would time. be worth a shot because yeah. it doesn't take any of your room for yeah. packing. Although that's you have to thing. have a projector which yeah. I don't have one of my Many school but I'll find it but a lot of yeah, volunteers yeah. do but you could also use like pieces of paper and like print it out and have like preach whole thing yeah, yeah. Uh, so the idea of the books there's actually a program that operates in Kyrgyzstan as well as various other Peace Corps countries it's called Darien Book Aid and once you get to your site it's a really simple process all you have to do is write a letter saying why your students need additional resources in their classroom and their level. And I believe it's a hundred kilos of book that they'll send to your school. So yeah, it's a lot of books that they send. Uh, my school, our volunteer before me did that program. And then we set up a small library where the students can check out the books and use them in their spare time because there's only one or two copies of each book. So it's difficult to use it in a classroom setting, but it's really nice for private study for students, and you can give them follow-up questions once they check the book out. Oh, that's so, really cool. Yeah. How much use have the students gotten out of that? My fifth and sixth form students love it. My oh, older cool. students don't really use it, mm. but my fifth and sixth form students, I have 10 or 15 very active students, and they check out the books maybe once a month. Wow. Oh, that's really so, cool. Get it. Excellent. All right, for material itself, how is the curriculum taught? Are there standards or benchmarks uh, for each teacher should be working towards with their respective schools? 
Travis is... <laughs> so, let me, ta- let me talk to you about this. Okay, so having taught in other countries in America where the curriculum is very highly dictated down to the day, down to the week, down to the month as to what goals you need to be working the students towards, what objectives you need to be working the students towards. In Kyrgyzstan, it's very loosey-goosey in that, first of all, uh, the, the official Ministry of Education approved textbooks are bought i.e. book producers will go to the Ministry of Education and say, hey, I want you to use my textbook. I'll give you this much money to use my textbook. And the Ministry will say, okay. So the st- textbooks that are in my school are different from the one in the school in the next village over, which are different from the one in the next village over. All of them teach different things at different times. So it's very difficult to say that there's a standard level Say, for example, a fifth grader needs to learn these things, these things, these things, because the curriculum, the textbooks, are so different throughout the entire country. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, it's important to work with your counterpart uh, using whatever textbook that you're given, because the local educa- Ministry of Education representative, called the Rayono, will expect you to write lesson plans based off that textbook. But it's also useful for you as the person coming to teach your counterpart about methodology methodology training to create units, to create chapters in which you take all this very uh, jumbled themes and jumbled grammar and jumbled vocabulary to create an overarching unit where there's one cohesive theme that you can carry through throughout the entirety. That's one of your major jobs here is creating order out of all the chaos that you're given, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it, too. And then the other thing to, like, it's important to keep in mind, and I've noticed at least in my school, and I assume everyone else probably has had the same thing, is that, like, when you're teaching a lesson, like, it doesn't matter if it's in my fifth class or my, like, 11th class, I'll have some students who can, like, basically talk to me in, like, a conversation, however limited it is. And others who, like, still aren't are fuzzy on the alphabet. Yeah, yeah. totally. Like, all, yeah. all across. So that's, like, one of the bigger challenges you're probably going to face is that, like, it's great to have, like, an objective and stuff. But you also need to think about, like, uh, what do I do for this, like, one, like, these few students who are, like, way behind and these other students who are, like, yeah. way ahead. ready, yeah, ready to, like, go to flex in the States. Yeah. I think no matter what site you get to, you're going to spend a lot of your time working with your counterparts on curriculum development, lesson planning, uh, because as Travis said, it's very unstructured and it's gonna, and like the materials we're working with aren't the greatest. Uh, so yeah, you'll spend a lot of time on that, which segues into oh. our next question. Uh, how we got one more point. Oh, we have well, a point, Gina. It's not that good of a point, but a I was point. gonna say, I work in a university and even at the university level, we're still having uh, mm-hmm. trouble like coming up with lesson objectives and and for example teachers can put together really amazing like demonstration lessons open lessons but um but they don't have the same standards every day <laughs> uh, so, don't get me started on open lessons so yeah <laughs> i agree with everything everyone else said and we're working on it okay you'll be working on it <laughs> How does teaching work with how does teaching work with our respective counterparts? Will be will we be assigned our own classrooms? 
Uh, will we collaborate with our counterparts on lesson ideas? Will we be directly in the classroom side by side, alternating days to lead lessons? Question mark. <laughs> so, according to your Peace Corps contract, you are required to always teach with your counterpart. However, many people have chosen to look past this and teach in a style that fits better with them. So, for instance, my counterpart, my first year here, was gone for two months, which meant we potentially were not going to have English class for two months because there wasn't a person to fill in her place. So during those two months, I taught by myself. But that is up to you. That is your decision. Peace Corps does not encourage that decision. So also keep that in mind. Because the point of our program is building the capacity of the teachers, you really should be working side by side with them at all times. You should be lesson planning with them at all times. Um, so you have to kind of figure out a way to clear your schedule while you're here so that you can sit down for an hour, two hours, however long it takes in order to build the lesson plan together, make sure your counterpart understands the material you're teaching, and then break it up so that you're both working in the classroom together. Because it is a team teaching program, not a I teach one day and you teach the next mm -hmm. day. As for the classroom thing, it 100% depends on where you're placed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some people do not have classrooms. I have two classrooms. I have a special classroom designated for club, as well as my own personal teaching classroom. So. Wow. Does Travis have an opinion on this one? Travis always has an opinion on everything, but he mm -hmm. chooses not to say anything this time. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this is an important one. Uh, there was, this was both in an email and in the Facebook post, but there were travel concerns for women, uh, especially traveling independently. And specifically a question, one of the first things I was told during my interview was about the sexual harassment that female volunteers might face. Is this a huge issue? Uh, so yeah, I would say that personally, um, Sexual harassment is a pretty regular thing, um, although at my side it's not something that like horribly affects my day-to-day -day work, uh, but it's also sort of like the threat of it always being there does sort of affect me, so unfortunately for female Peace Corps volunteers, yeah, I would say it's something you have to be, well, you can never be ready for it, so it's, it's something that will likely happen. Um, with staff will try to support you, but there's only so much that can be done um, when, I hope it's okay to say this here, but like it's, it's very much part of the culture, and so there's pretty much nothing that can be done. Um, not for me personally, but for knowing from other volunteers, uh, on public transportation is one of the worst like, like situations you can be in, and depending on your site, you may, like I actually take public transportation to and from school every day, uh, some volunteers don't have to take public transportation very often. Um, so my biggest advice is when you get to your site, make friends with certain taxi drivers and marshrutka drivers. They've been my biggest support here in country. Um, recently I had an incident on a marshrutka back to my site where a very, very drunk man was harassing me the entire time. 
and the Marshrutka driver stopped the Marshrutka. He rearranged everyone so that I was away from the drunk man at the front of the tax or at the front of the Marshrutka, and he put another man in between me and the drunk man to kind of like block him off. And then when the harassment didn't stop, we actually stopped in the middle of nowhere and just left the drunk man on the side of the road. That's great. And that's because I'm friends with the Marshrutka driver. Whenever I walk past the um, bus station, I always make a point to just say, like, hello, how are you? Um, and as well as taxi drivers, I have to take a taxi to and from school every day. And I now have a taxi driver who makes a point of being in front of my house at 8 o'clock so that I can take his taxi to school and back. So, Cool. That's good. Um, this is Gina. Uh, like Kelly Maria, I'm in the South, which is more conservative. Uh, but let's see. That's actually, so far, knock on wood, worked to my advantage. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we have less public drunkenness uh, mm -hmm. because people drink less generally or they're more ashamed to drink in public. Um, there's also, <clears throat> I think, this is something I've just observed being in the mm -hmm. South, I think there's an element of like, uh, it is shameful for a man to like hit on a woman or even catcall a woman in front of like other women or older women or even like other men in the community, so I think that serves as a buffer for us in the South, and mm -hmm. it's been helpful compared to volunteers' experiences in the North. Yeah, mm -hmm. and my general strategy is to, like, not engage and, like, not, just don't even, like, I ignore a lot of men, <laughs> um, which, I mean, it's at the expense of, like, making friends or, like, they, they might be perfectly nice people, but, like, when in doubt, if there's a strange man around, like... I try to ignore him or sometimes pretend I don't speak the language and just go the other way. Same. Um, I think the most attention I've gotten is because I, I got a bike. And actually, the Marshurkas in my city are have been fine so far. Uh, but I got a bike, so when the weather's good, I bike to work and back. But that's weird, I think. I think I'm the only woman in Jalalabad who has a bike. Uh, <laughs> there are little girls on bikes, but, but otherwise it's other, like, kids and old men. Or middle-aged men. Uh, so I've gotten a few, what, I don't know, catcalls or something. But Yeah? Uh, I guess I wanted to add, too, um, sexual harassment is a general issue that I would say most women will at least face at some point in their service. But unwanted attention, which is sort of what you're mm. going to on the bike yeah. thing, that's something I think every volunteer faces. Oh, yeah. And it can be as general as just, you're trying to walk to the grocery store or you're trying to walk down your street and people want to talk to you because you look different and you're foreign. Um, and then different degrees of diversity that are like obvious also affect how volunteers receive unwanted attention. And I'd say that's something 100% every volunteer. I had a Russian man ask me to tell Mr. Trump that the Russian people wanted peace. <laughs> Did you? Have I haven't yet. I'm <laughs> working on that one. <laughs> so, you'll learn a bunch of coping mechanisms during PST of like what to do if you have unwanted attention or if you're sexually harassed in public. But I think the most important thing is like, I as a woman am just always aware of my surroundings and am always thinking about what potentially could happen as I walk into an area. And that's just something that is part of life here in Peace Corps and mm -hmm. it's an unfortunate part, but also I 
because of that have had a problem twice in my service and it was because I know at the time I made a bad decision like I walked down a dark alley at night knowing there was a drunk man in the alley because I just didn't make a good decision at that time and I know that sounds a little victim blaming to myself but it's also kind of a reality of just what it's like here uh, last question. Grad school. I know there were some. <laughs> we're shifting gears. Uh, Look at that Kirkus transition. Kirkus transition. There were some questions about things like taking the GRE. Uh, producer Matt is currently in grad school. Yeah, get it, Producer Matt. There is, there is a weird moment where I got an email because I guess the Matt. money didn't go through. But I got it through, so now I'm back in. Ah, nice. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you have questions about grad school and admissions and all that, I did work at my graduate, my institution's graduate admissions office. So I can help with that a little bit if you want to know anything specific. Uh, I will say if you are looking at like the post, like the post secondary, like all that testy stuff, uh, <laughs> like GRE, GRE, yeah, 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 yeah. that post testy yeah. stuff, testy testy yeah. stuff. Uh, there is, I believe, a lot. You can sign up for a lot of those tests in Almaty mm-hmm. in Kazakhstan, which from Bishkek and is Bishkek in Bishkek too. Yeah, okay. they're they're less common, but uh, yeah. Like, things like the GRE are occasionally, yeah. I believe, in Kyrgyzstan, there's a, a testing center. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Bill Bain. volunteers mm-hmm. take the GRE, the LSATs, all the time. Yeah, I know. It's really common. I know Almaty. Yeah. The GRE in Bishkek, I would be careful with. I've heard a couple of times people who have taken it in Bishkek, the computer testing center went down in the middle of the test. Yeah. And uh, they did not get their money refunded for the test. Yeah. Just take it in Almaty. Yeah. So I would recommend you get leave days in order to take special tests like that. So I would recommend just going to Almaty and yeah. taking it there. Take a little vacation to Almaty. It's yeah, you could go to Kazakhstan. Right yeah. And um, Almaty has amazing fast food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, oh yeah, they got, they got that Mickey D's. They got Starbucks. They got, yeah, the the uh, the crunchy caramel chocolate McFlurry is wow. delicious. Oh, oh so good. that sounds like oh, a lot man. of sugar. Oh, it's so good. They're yeah. totally worth it. But if you do have any questions specifically, I do live in Chewy, so I will see you all probably when you're here. Uh, and so you can either ask me. I will put my email in the show descriptions notes if you want to email me about those things too. Just because we're running a lot of time. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, producer Matt. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a wrap on this podcast. We're excited to see you soon, and Kurz cast out. Kurgis cast. The content expressed here does not represent the views of the U.S. government nor the Peace Corps.